0: Good. We don't on, always understand it, do we? But God is always only good. Am I? Am I good on here? All right. So I, I wonder, especially when I'm doing something about camp. I, I wander, not wonder. I move around a lot. Uh, and so that. Uh, thank you, ladies. Thank you. I love that song. You are always only good. Let's talk for a few minutes here. About, Frankie. It's good to see you. I didn't know you were going to be here. All right. <laughs> So hey, this today just got better, didn't it? <laughs> all right. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about camp and uh, Pastor did ask me to, to explain some of the things about camp, some of the logistics about it. But I want us to put this word in our mind. investment. All right? We all understand what an investment is. It's something that we put effort, energy, time, money, something into with the hope of a return, Correct. We can understand that. Uh, we hear about the stock market every day, the highs and the lows and that. Right? Now there are things that we have to invest in that we wish we didn't have to invest in. Right? Uh, there is a larger amount of my money that goes into investing in power than I would wish. Um, this year in California, uh, PG&E got the approval, we're getting a 21.6% increase in our power. All right. So our power bill at camp is going to be over $70,000 this year, all right? Now, Pastor mentioned the—I I bring that up because Pastor mentioned the work week. You know what we did this last work week? Mr. Jacob and a crew went around, and they switched out everything to LED bulbs that we could possibly switch out to LED bulbs, got rid of any kind of ballast, any of that stuff, because we're going to do everything we can to be good stewards of God's money. I have to invest in food. As you can tell, I invest a lot in food. <laughs> All right? Don't laugh at me. Right? I probably need to invest less in carbs and more in vegetables, but you know, with that. Um, and, and definitely, we understand. We, we go to the grocery store, and now you see what used to be $126 a week is now $208 a week. And you say, oh, that's, that's rough, but that's a reality that we live in. But what I want us to think about is investment is not those things particularly. They are part of life. They are necessary parts of life. And I have had a mom of a teenage son say it was cheaper for me to send my kid to camp than it was to feed him. All right? Now I was like, well, I mean, he's six foot three and two hundred and fifty pounds. I get that, you know. And uh, but what I want us to think about is the investment that we can make in eternity with that. God has given us goods and treasure and time that we get to use here on earth. But the point of it is not so we can have a better life on earth, but so that we can see more people come to Christ and people grow in their spiritual walk and bring honor and glory to him. The year was 1997. How many of you even remember 1997? This <laughs> be, wait, no I don't. <laughs> All right. And it may not be because of your age. Some of us just don't remember certain years of our life, which is probably a blessing. Pastor Lynn, I had a moment just a, a month or so ago, and I said this phrase I remember 30 years ago, and it, it hurt because it was true. I've, like, I don't, like some of you, I think I may have been talking to Jacob, one of our young men that's with us here this morning. He's like, I don't even remember 10 years ago. I'm like, way to make me feel old. But the year was back in 1997, and someone made an investment in me, and they sent me to the Wilds Christian Camp. There was a, a gentleman by the name of Jim Ogle. He was my youth pastor. He made an investment of taking a week off and taking us to camp. And then my parents, as well as several other people from the church, made an investment to help pay the, back then, if the best I can remember, I believe it was $225 a week for camp uh, at the Wilds Christian Camp. And they made the investment and they paid for that. And what they got for their investment is a camp in Northern California that reaches young people for the Lord Jesus Christ, strengthens families, and serves local churches. Because it was that week at camp, on a Thursday night, an evangelist we lovingly called Double Barrel Pharaoh, right? Evangelist Tom Farrell, he just let loose with both barrels when he preached. He preached a message out of Ezekiel 22, verse 30. He said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap. God is looking for someone, young people. He would say it a lot faster and a lot more energetic than I. God is looking for someone who is willing to live for him. God is looking for someone who is willing to give their life for God's purposes, not their own purposes. And that night he asked, he said, young people in this room, would you be willing to tell God I am willing. I'm not surrendering to be a pastor. I'm not surrendering to do anything specifically. But when you're looking for servants, when you're looking like Isaiah, the, I'm willing to say, here am I. And that Thursday night at the Wilds Christian Camp in Bavaria, North Carolina, God was working in my heart and I made the decision to be willing to do whatever it was that God had for me. Now I was in seventh or eighth grade. At that time, I had no clue what that meant. I had no clue what was looking, looking forward. I knew my dad had just started pastoring in Lincolnton, North Carolina. I didn't know if I was going to be a pastor. I really hoped not, okay? um, But I, I, I said, Lord, I, at least give me the option to say no. You know, like, like call me and see like, hey, I'm looking for a missionary in Africa. You said you, would raise your, you raised your hand. Would you be willing to go? And it was because of that decision of God's word working in my heart that night that 10 years later, almost 10 years later, God brought me out to California to serve at a camp down south, a little place called Ironwood. And because of the work at Ironwood, God directed and led the the leadership there to say, hey, we want to start a camp up in Northern California because it's really far away from Southern California. If, you live on the, if you've ever lived on the East Coast, you can understand. It's like five states away. If you've just lived in the West, it's like, so it's still California. But they said, you know what? We want to start a camp up in Northern California. And through a series of events, God led us to Wolf Mountain. And back 13 years ago, God opened up the opportunity for us to open the doors of Wolf Mountain, to preach the word of God, and to see lives changed. Camp does have a cost. Insurance right now is through the roof. Power? There's no indications it's going back down. <laughs> Food costs, it's about18 dollars, you know, a day to feed kids. Well, actually, it's more than that. And then housing costs. Then quality counselors. Camp does have a cost. It really does. And I, I can assure you that we're not wasting any of that cost. We're using everything for our mission to reach young people for the Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen families and serve local churches. But I would ask you to keep this this in your mind. You're making an investment and if you would, pray with me this you're making an investment in the next generations of pastors in the West because you know what I pray for every summer? Lord, call one of our young men who comes to camp to take the place of one of the pastors that's been faithfully serving out here. Can I let you know, Pastor Lynn and I were talking this morning, I know 18 churches in California right now that are without pastors. Churches that have buildings that have been operating for 40 years or more, that pastors who there's nobody there to replace them. And one of the missions that we have at campus to see God work in the hearts of those young people that they make decisions that impact eternity. But not just decisions that impact eternity like salvation, but decisions that will impact the future of ministry. My heart is particularly in the West. I would love any of our guys to go into pastoring anyway, but if anywhere, but if they moved to Greenville, South Carolina, I'd probably be a little bitter about it. So this summer. Would you consider investing your funds? We invest them all the time in things. Investing your funds in the potential of a changed eternity. Investing your funds in the potential of a future pastor for this church, future pastor for one of the 18 churches right now that I know of in in California that are without pastors, for a future missionary on the field, for a future mom who loves her kids and raises them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, who schools them in truth and loves them and teaches them to love God, that's what we're investing our summer in. That's what we're investing our time and our money in. Sure, we get to do paintball. We get to do horses. We get to do all kinds of fun activities. But the difference between camp and Disneyland, besides a couple zeros at the end, (laughs) The difference between camp and Disneyland is Disneyland doesn't have a focus of putting young people away from the distractions of the world and into the word of God where their lives can be changed. So as we, as we pray for God to provide, as we pray for God to make opportunities for young people to come to camp, as you pray potentially even about sending your own young person to camp, maybe you're one of the, the parents uh, who, who look and say, but I've never sent my kid away for that long. It's nice. (laughs) Until God gives you the caboose that's eight years later, and the year that both of your older kids get to go to camp, you still have JJ at home. (laughs) If you don't know our family, we have two girls, one who's 11, one who's 9, who both now go to junior camp. And now we have JJ, who's 19 months, 20 months old, and he doesn't go anywhere (laughs) without us. But maybe you're one of those who are praying and say, Lord, would you, would you have me send my kid away? Pray about it and think about it this way. Lord, would you want to use camp as an opportunity to speak God's truth into my kid's life so that maybe they'll have a changed life? Maybe they'll have a changed eternity? We brought Mr. Jacob with us. He has no clue I'm doing this. Mr. Jacob is one of our Life Institute guys. He came as a camper four years ago. Four years ago, he accepted Christ at camp. Now he's serving with us at camp. He's going around. Some of you who, who came to work week had the opportunity to serve with him. He doesn't know if God's going to call him into ministry full time. But he's a young man who's following God's path for his life, who's learning trades, who's learning how to serve and learning how to invest his own times, talents, and treasures in other people and in God's work. Oh, that God would give us 20 more Jacobs a summer. Young men and young women who would say, God, I'm going to put your values, I'm going to put your priorities as my own priorities. The West would look different if we had people like that, wouldn't it? I mean, really, we can sit here and shake our heads, yes, we can agree that that the world is wretched. There's not a lot out there in society that is pro-God. But are we as Christians living our lives for God, with God's priorities? That's my prayer every summer as we see young people come. That's my prayer every week as we have science camps that come in. And even just this last week, we had a science camp that was in and we were talking as we we study through creation and we look at different things in creation, we're we're talking about the fact that God created everything to work together And there's things that we don't understand, like bugs. I still have not, I've been teaching science camp for 16 years. I still don't know the purpose of mosquitoes. I'm sorry, please don't ask me. (laughs) But there are things that God created that are icky. And I know God created them before the fall, because in Genesis chapter one, it says, and he created the, this isn't the words, but the creepy crawly things as well. And those creepy crawly things have a part in God's system. And God can use all of that together. And as we get to talk to these young people at camp, we get to point them to the fact that God brought you here this week to hear God's word, to hear the gospel. And maybe this is the week that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or maybe this is the week that you realize the things that are happening in your life can be used for God to bring honor and glory to him. Science camp isn't just about science. It's about God's word. Would you do this for me as you're praying about summer camp? Would you continue to pray for us? As uh, my wife and my family and I, we're, we're missionaries and extension of the ministry of this church. Would you continue to pray for us every week? Because it's not just summer that we're presenting God's word and hoping that God does a work in hearts and lives and that some young people will accept Christ and young people will, will choose to serve Him. It really is. We have, I believe, one week No, we don't even have one week uh, between now. Well, between this next Sunday. This next week we're off, but there's a reason for that. Between next Sunday and summertime, we've got campers in every week. And we're presenting the gospel to them. We're presenting God's truth to them. And then we get to summertime. And you know what? Summertime is super fun. If you're coming to teen camp this summer, uh, Mr. Andy came with us. Mr. Andy is going to be our new teen camp director. Uh, Those who've been there before may have remembered Mr. Mike. He stepped away from camp a couple years ago to pursue some other ministry opportunities. And we're excited to have Mr. Andy and his family with us. He's learning the ropes this summer. You can probably convince him to do anything because he doesn't know anything yet. All right? And then Mr. Andy and I will have long conversations about why that was not okay. (laughs) All right? But teen camp this summer, we're, we're studying through historically the, the trail of Lewis and Clark. Spiritually, we're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes because Lewis and Clark left a journal. Well, actually, like a lot of them that said, this is what we found. This is what we discovered. This is what the West is like. And, you know, Solomon did the same thing. Hey, I was young. Now I'm old. I know that's from the Psalms. But Solomon said, hey, you want to pursue different things in life? I've done that can i tell you how it ends can i just tell you young people the whole duty of man love god keep his commandments so in our teen camp this summer we're focusing on that through our devotions through much of the program much of the different things we're gonna be playing paintball we're gonna be doing some gel blasters that's a new activity that we've got going on this summer we're gonna be doing all kinds of fun stuff geocaching uh after this last storm i don't know if you guys got the same atmospheric river that we got um, there is a lot of new earth that is uncovered, so we're going back to gold panning this summer because our creeks are very different than they were just a month ago, and so we figure why not let somebody try to strike it rich, uh, and there's, there's going to be all kinds of fun uh, things, games that are out of this world, uh, experiences, friends, and truth. That's what we're focusing on here this summer if you have any questions about camp if you have any questions uh specifically about things that you've heard about camp please let me know i would hate to leave today if there's any questions that you're going to come to pastor len and be like so uh at camp can we do this i that that's what i'm here for to answer those questions um and so please please let me know if there's anything i can help uh with answering those uh questions are you excited excited about camp because what I'm praying is, again, future ministers are coming out of camp this summer, and we get to be part of it. That's what I'm praying. If you want to take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be looking at here this morning. And one of the things I, I've alluded to it a couple of times here is, is we have a mission statement at camp, and part of that mission statement is that camp is a place of decision in the areas of salvation, full surrender, and consistent walk. That's that's what we do. That's That's what we strive for every day at camp. Every opportunity that we get to when we're talking to a kid by the campfire, when we're teaching a science class, is we're trying to lead somebody to a truth from God's word and saying, what decision are you going to make? God is leading you. Are you going to say yes or no? And these different situations or circumstances from God's word that we look at. But we also have a tagline, not just our mission statement. We have a tagline at camp. Can anybody who has been to camp remember the tagline that is on the sign right above the office? No pressure. Frankie, I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Julianne? No? Kip? Yeah. No, I know. That's why. So it's it's a preaching technique. You call people by name and they're like, what? Yeah, they start paying attention (laughs) again. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Kip, you remember it? Distinctively Christian camping. That's what Wolf Mountain wants to be known for. When people leave, they're like, wow, that was a Christian environment filled with Christian people who love God. That was not the same as any other campground that I've been to. And you know, there are times, oh, I got my thumb stuck. (laughs) There are times where, it did, it's right there. There's this little lip. Yeah, <laughs> you've never done that. There are times where we get to hear in feedbacks and in evaluations that we have, we have accomplished our mission. But some of the, the times that myself as a camp director, my heart is overjoyed is when we get to hear people who leave camp and they say, wow, I saw Christ here. I saw a staff that loved our kids who served, and in fact, even this this last week with the science camp that we had. The, the adults that brought the science campers were talking about just the environment and the atmosphere of camp, and that they want to come back, and they want their kids back in that environment. As a camp director, I just kind of want to do one of these. I don't, because that's silly. <laughs> but, it, but in my heart, I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you. We, we accomplished that goal. We showed Christ to every kid that came to camp, We were distinct in the way that we served and the way that we lived. That's the goal. But, you know, as I was reading through my Bible earlier this year, or later this last year, I came across this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, and and I'm sure uh, you've been through this passage before. I'm sure that you've, you've studied through this in depth. But the book of Ephesians is written to a church, right? It's written with some of the greatest doctrinal truth in the New Testament. Just practical truth to us. And then one of the greatest things about Ephesians is it gives us doctrine at the beginning, but then it gives us the opportunity to be distinct at the end. And and what Paul does is he says, hey, Christians, not only do you get all of this in Christ, and these last four chapters, what he's saying is, and you get to be this in Christ. You've got these riches. You've got this, this great truths." but now you have a different life. In Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 17, what we're going to see here is that being distinctly Christian is not just a camp thing. And at camp, we have a purpose to be distinctly Christian. It's so that every kid who comes to camp, they not only hear God's word, but they see God's word in action. And then they will look at it and say, it does make a difference in a life. And I want that difference. I want to be like that. I want to follow God. It is worth it. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul reminds us that distinct Christianity is actually right here in the church. Distinct Christianity is for Fernley, Nevada. It's for the high desert. It's for everywhere that Christians live. And the purpose of distinct Christianity, of having distinct Christians, is so that the world can see that Christ really does make a difference in our lives. See, in verse 17, Paul says this. He says, This I say therefore, <clears throat> excuse me, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, See what Paul is calling out to the church here in the book of Ephesians is he's saying, Listen, you used to be the phrase that he uses here, Gentiles. You used to be those who didn't believe and trust in God. But there's a difference now. Walk not henceforth as other Gentiles walked, because now you're different. And they walked, this morning we're going to look at three different ways that the other Gentiles walk, and we're going to challenge, we're going to let God's word challenge our own thinking and our own hearts and minds and say, Lord, am I distinct? Am I able to make an impact in my neighborhood? Am I able to make an impact in my home? And we're going to let God's word talk to us here this morning about the own distinctions In our own hearts and lives let's pray before we go any further lord i thank you for the work that you do in camp i thank you for decisions that are made for eternity that is impacted for lives that are changed and i thank you for parents who are willing to trust us to send their kids to camp i thank you for the safety and protection you've given us at camp but i thank you more for the spiritual decisions that have been made And we know that those decisions come from your word and from the presenting of your word. And Lord, that's what we're doing here this morning. So we want to look at your word. We want to see what you have for us. So Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning changed more into the image of your son through the power of your word. In your name we pray, amen. At the end of the verse here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, he says this Walk not as other Gentiles walk, right? Walk not as unsaved people walk, is what he's saying. In the vanity of their minds, the first distinction that Paul says, hey, Christians should be different is this, right? Is that that our thinking should be different. And, And the word vanity, we often we we know the word vanity. We often associate it with the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and it, it means nothingness. So what Paul is saying here is not, hey, unbelievers are stupid. There's an emptiness. They're just they're devoid of truth. But what is it that they are vain about? What is it that they are empty about in their minds? There's a lack of the presence of God in their minds. The vanity of reminds me, there is not a consideration of God in their lives. <clears throat> now, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because obviously we as Christians think about God in everything we do, right? Every decision that we've made this week, we put God at the forefront of that decision, right? We said when we, when we got up and we were really sore and tired and it was like, oh, I have this opportunity to go serve but I'm just too tired, or, or whatever it was. Because we know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? What is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Lean not into your own understanding, but in all thy ways, acknowledge him. See, Christians, we can be guilty of not being distinct from the world. And the fact that we don't keep God and God's priorities in the forefront of all the decisions of our life. That we don't live every day thinking, God, what is it that you would have me do today? God, I know I'm going to clock in for work. I know my employer has this expectation of me. But what is it that you would have me do while I'm here? I know I'm getting ready to go have this family dinner and family dinners are a nightmare. But Lord, would you give me the opportunity to speak truth and love while I'm here? Because that's one of the things that you've called me to do. You see, an unsaved world lives life day after day without ever considering what it would be that God would have for them. What are the priorities that God has for them? One of the things that God really hit my heart with as I was studying through this is the big plans that I have. The big things that I want for my family, the big things that I, I would love to do. I had to step back and say, all right, but Lord, Am I willing to sacrifice my plans, my priorities for you, for what you would have? This is one that God worked in my heart. My my daughters, again, they're 11 and 9. And my oldest daughter, Brooklyn, who's sitting in here, all right, don't turn and look at her. She gets embarrassed. Right? No, I said stop it. <laughs> all right. She's very athletic. She loves to run. She really wants to play soccer. And I thought, oh, Lord, it would be great. We live at camp. We work at camp. We serve at camp all the time. It would be great for her to have some community interaction and i would love to get her into a soccer league do you know when soccer leagues are summertime and on sundays Oh, that's a killer but i have this desire i want her to be able to do some of the same things that i did when i was a kid i played soccer i was not good at soccer (laughs) all right don't laugh Uh, just kidding it's true though i did play baseball i was a little better at baseball i actually got to be in the games Uh, for those ones. And I, I want those things for my kids. But I also know that God has set up some priorities for myself and my family. And part of that is the fellowship with the body of believers that God's put me in. I really want my daughter to play soccer. But putting God in all my ways, acknowledging him, I have to say, what am I teaching my daughter is more important? You know, these are these are really practical everyday things that we have to struggle with and that we have to plan through. And and Paul is saying, hey, if you want to be different than everybody else, put God in the middle of your thinking. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. As other Gentiles walk here, in the vanity of their mind. But then the next distinction that Paul has here is... Having, verse 18, having the, underst- uh, the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. See, we need to be distinct in our thinking and making sure that we do acknowledge God, that God is part of our lives. But not only that, what it's talking about here is. They are not able to, the other phrase that, the other place that this phrase is used in the Bible, is that looking through a glass darkly, not being able to see what's on the other side, not being able to understand what's happening. And what Paul is saying here is, Gentiles, the unsaved world, they live life every day, not at all understanding that God has a purpose and a plan. And they live life every day just kind of living for themselves. They live life every day basically seeing this far in front of them and not understanding that God may be doing this over here and this over here and this over here. But they're so distracted by the trees, they don't understand the forest is God's. When we talk about our science camp, that's one of the things that we highlight. There may be things that God is doing in your life right now. There may be characteristics. We have a lot of junior hires at, at science camp. There may be characteristics that to you right now as a sixth grader are very awkward and weird. Right? Your feet are growing, but you are not. You, know? There's, you're, you have this sense of humor that nobody else understands. You have this voice that cracks. That was intentional, by the way. Um, you have this voice that cracks. God, why are you doing this? You don't love me. And we have to be able to step back and say, you know what? God is is using all of these things. Sometimes it's situations in a family that I don't get. The things that I wouldn't choose that are happening, sometimes it's sickness that God brings in. You guys know, some of you know the testimony of, of our youngest daughter, Ellie. When she was 18 months old, she was diagnosed with leukemia. (laughs) And we looked at that and say, this is horrible. Obviously, God doesn't care about us at all. No, that wasn't, thankfully, the response that we had. What Paul is talking about here is Christians, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, should look at the situations of life and say, God, I don't understand why you gave my daughter leukemia, but can you help me see the purposes in this? Can you help me see what you're doing? Because there's something bigger than this situation. Help me to bring honor and glory to you. See, not only are Christians sometimes guilty of not acknowledging God, we're also guilty of not understanding that God's work is bigger than ourselves. And God's work is bigger than just this little part of a life that I'm living. Through my daughter's leukemia, you know what God has done? We've had the opportunity to reach out to close to a dozen families that have gone through a, some, a struggle very similarly to us to try to help encourage them to trust in God. And thankfully, most of them were Christian families. But just to, to remind them of God's goodness, multiple times we've been able to share God's, or Ellie's testimony, and God's work in leading. And even through the, the very dark valleys that we had to go through there, to share that with people who are willing to listen because, hey, you know what? I would never go to your church, but if you're talking about your daughter who had a near-fatal illness, I'll listen. I'll listen to the gospel through that. And God has continued to use that, and and even one that we've mentioned as a prayer request in the past. We've had multiple doctors who've gotten to hear the gospel because of what God was doing there. You see, Christians, we can't go through life and think, I just got laid off at work. This is stupid. God God doesn't love me. He's not taking care of me. Oh, we're dealing with this struggle. This family situation is happening. The economy, the election, whatever it is, we can get so focused on that one thing that we forget that God is in control. Do we trust God? Do we seek His purposes in everything that He does? Or do we walk like everybody else, hopeless in the world. The third thing that God calls us to be distinct in here is verse 19, who says this, Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's a verse right there. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness. This is what that means. And not being able to understand what's going on, they just decided to do whatever it was that they that felt good for them. The word lasciviousness, it's a $25 word for just do what you feel like. Do what feels good. Make whatever decision you think is right for you. We've never thought that, right, as Christians? We, we've, never, we've never done that. But what Paul is saying here is, Christians, we struggle with this as well. Instead of saying, God, what is your will? I'm just going to do what I want. Have You ever thought that? I know I have. Have you ever been in that spot where you say, listen, God, I think you want me to give the gospel to my coworker. But I'm scared, so I'm not going to do it. Not now. I'll look for a better opportunity later. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm leading you. I'm directing you to do this. I, I'm asking you to surrender to this. Are you willing? 12 years ago, Jacob, can you say 12 years ago? Like you can remember 12 years? Okay, I just, just checking. It's, he, he's like my old measure. You know, if Jacob can't remember it, then I'm, I'm just old. 12 years ago I was in a missions conference and we were talking specifically about the parents of future missionaries. And I had a mom who came up to me afterwards. She said, here's the thing. I can't bear the thought of my kid going around the world. I'm not going to let them. You know what that is? That's that verse. I have this desire And whatever God asks for me to do, I'm not willing to do because it's scary. We have the opportunity now. We we have a house at camp that was set up specifically for pastors to take a vacation, for missionaries on deputation who need to have a place to stay. And we have a young couple with us right now, the Dollhausens, And the Dollhausens are headed to Morocco. Haven't heard of a lot of missionaries to Morocco because it's a closed country but they have an opportunity to go in and to set up a business and to live as distinct Christians in a completely Muslim world. And their desire is to preach Christ one-on-one, to share the difference that Christ has made in their lives. Can you imagine your kids going to a country where literally the law is, if you give any other religion other than Islam, you will spend six months to three years in jail. That's just, or you will be immediately deported. Kind of wonder what Tim and Liz's parents think. Well, I can't send my kids there. Or are they more of the, you know what, God, if you're calling them, I'm going to surrender to whatever it is that you have for them. So let me ask. <clears throat> these are three distinctions that Paul is asking the Ephesians to make. Are these three distinctions that are in your life? Are these three ways that you show that you're different than your neighbors, than your coworkers who don't know Christ? Or do the conversations that you have about things at work, the conversations that you have over the fence, the conversations you have around the dinner table? God is in the middle of all of it. We think like God thinks. We acknowledge God in what we do, and we're willing to surrender to whatever it is that God has for us. This isn't even the end of the passage. Briefly, as we look through the rest of this chapter, there's a couple things that Paul highlights here. (coughs) Paul highlights, as as we keep going, he says, uh, verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. So basically what Paul is saying here is, Christians, if you're saved, if you know Christ, you know that that this is different. You know that your thinking should be different. You know that you should be distinct because that's who Christ is. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him and as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. (laughs) Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. So Paul says, hey, these distinctions, you know how they show up? Lying isn't a tool that you use to get what you want. Lying is not something that now is part of your everyday life. You know? You're speaking truth. Are we distinct in that way? Keep going. Be angry and sin not. Oh, <laughs> anger. I got that one. Yes, I'm distinct. I'm angry at everything. <laughs> Driving down the road when somebody cuts me off, I'm angry. All right. uh, when I see something that goes the direction that I wouldn't want it to go, when when things are forced upon me that I wouldn't choose, whether at work, whether it's in the economy or whatever, I got anger. But what Paul's saying here is, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. He's saying, are you angry at the right things? I can think of a lot of people I want to be angry at. Do you know what I should be angry at? Sin and how it really does destroy God's good plan. And I should seek, so, I should hate sin so much that I look at my own heart and life and say, if it's wrong for them, it's wrong for me. And it's easy to get mad at somebody else. But when I'm guilty of it, am I willing to deal with it? It should make me angry when I get upset at my kids and I don't treat them the way that God would have me to treat them. Should get angry at the sin. You know what? I should deal with it. Uh, let's see. Wherefore putting away. Oh, uh, sorry, I'm a couple verses behind. Let him that stole steal no more. Oh, good. I never did that. I'm distinct in this way. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands, so that he can have. That which is good and makes him happy, and a bigger house, and a 401k that will set him up for the rest of his life. And sorry, I'm using the new, 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 new King James. <laughs> no, what does God say the purpose of work is? He actually says, hey, if you were selfish and you stole so that you could have for yourself, go to work. And don't work so you can have for yourself but go to work. The thing which is good, work is good, that he may give to him that hath need. You know the a distinct difference between Christians and non-Christians? Is I work because God has called me to work and he gives me opportunities to help others. That's the distinction. Next one, let no corrupt commun. You know what? We're out of time. Let's not even look at verse 29. That one's too convicting. <laughs> so, but let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We get to be together as Christians this morning. We get to serve God openly. We get to communicate with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we leave, we should be more excited about football. (laughs) No, football season's over, silly. We have other stuff to talk about, right? You know what that stuff should be? Things that minister grace. When somebody leaves the doors of this church, are they more like Christ? Or are they more angry at something? Oh, we have our powwow by the water cooler. I don't know if we have a water cooler here. (laughs) We have our powwow every week where we talk politics. We have our powwow every week where we talk about how much we don't like this or where we do this. But when we talk to each other, do we build each other up? Do we make each other want to know God more? Are we distinct in the way that we use our mouths? This isn't even the most convicting verse here. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. One of the reasons that we do these things, that we have this distinction, is because we have the Holy Spirit who's in us. These last two verses, and then we're done. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what the world doesn't do? Forgive. You know why? They don't know what forgiveness is. They haven't experienced the forgiveness that God gives us. They don't understand that their sins put Jesus Christ on the cross. That while they were yet the enemy of God, Christ died for them. But we do. So how is it that I cannot look across the table and forgive somebody who said something to me that was hurtful? How come it's that I can't reconcile with somebody that I haven't talked to for years because of something that happens, misunderstanding. And I just choose to have it my way because after all, I'm right. This is one of those things. If we're going to live distinctively Christian lives, we need to work hard for God's glory and opportunities to serve others. We need to use our mouths to honor and glorify Him and not spread deceit or to even bring anything to ourselves. We need to hate that which is evil, even in our own lives, and take care of it. And we need to show forgiveness and God's love, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. When we send missionaries over to the field, I don't know what we expect. That somebody is going to touch down, that Tim, Tim and Liz uh, Dahlhausen are going to touch down in Morocco, and all of a sudden, everyone's saved. We hear it. It's on CNN, even. You know, that they, everybody, they, there's just revival rolling. No. I hope your expectation is that your missionaries are living distinct lives, continuing to bring others to Christ. But should our expectation for missionaries around the world be different than our expectations here? The reason that we send missionaries around the world is because there are places that need the gospel. I'm glad that the high desert doesn't need the gospel. Aren't you? Oh, wait. It does, doesn't it, Pastor? So what is God's call for us tonight, or this morning? It's not even three o'clock yet. Christians, are you willing... Let's put it this way to be a home missionary, <laughs> living a distinct life so that your neighbors see the difference that Christ makes. It starts with your thinking. Do you think like the world thinks? Is God absent from your planning? Is, God pur- is God's purposes absent from your thinking? Do you make decisions just based on what you want or what you feel would be right? How are you lining up with these other things? Distinctively Christian, Christians. And you know what God does with that? He gives us opportunities to give the gospel so that others see the difference that Christ has made. And our prayer is that they will give their lives to Christ as well. And you know what happens after a while? Revival. Revival. You see an area completely changed by God's word working in God's people and going out to the world. Wouldn't it be great if over the next year, the news was just saying, something is happening in the Reno area. It starts here. It starts in our thinking. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and the challenge that it is. I thank you that you so graciously allow us, even as Christians who don't always live for you, you give us the opportunity to, to change, to repent, to put off the former man. Lord, I pray that this church, that the people in this church will make an impact in this community around us, that your word would clearly go forward and that lives would be changed because of the working of your word in their hearts and lives. Help us to be distinct, even as we eat lunch today. Help our conversations at the lunch table or in the car to involve you, to involve thinking about you and what your plans would be for us this next week. Help our work day tomorrow to be different than it was last Friday. Because tomorrow we go in thinking, Lord, what is it that you have for me to do today? It's possible you said we can put off the old man and we can live according to how we've learned Christ. So Lord, I pray that we would do that. In your name we pray. Amen.